0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams.
1: And I'm Kirk McElhart.
0: Hello, and thank you for putting us in your podcast lineup. This is episode number 13 of The Next Track. We're going to be joined in a few minutes by Chris Conacher of ComputerAudioFile.com. You may recall that he was with us a few weeks ago to talk about high-res audio. Chris is back for a general discussion about music streaming options. First, though, Kirk and I wanted to bring to your attention some innovations in the latest beta of iTunes.
1: Yeah, we spotted this, what was it, last week? We record on Mondays and we release on Friday, and I believe it was last Friday evening that you let me know that there were some changes in iTunes and I hadn't downloaded the latest update for the beta. So this is the beta of iTunes 12.5, which you can get if you have a developer account or in the public beta of OS X. So in iTunes 12.5, they've made a big nod toward classical music finally. When you select a track and you press Command-I or on a Mac or Control-I on Windows, you see the info window, which lets you edit metadata. And the first field is name, which is the name of a song, a track, whatever. But there's a little pop-up menu next to it. And it, it now reads either song name or work name. If you choose work name, you get some additional fields. You get movement n of n, so 1 of 4, 2 of 4, et cetera, and name, which would be the name of a movement. So for example, if your work name is um, Mahler's Symphony number no. 3, you'll have the six movements, one of six, and the name of each one will be the name of the movement. Now, what's really interesting here is that when you make this change, iTunes Creates a new name for the track that isn't the name that you see in the info window. Correct. It creates what I'm calling an aggregate name um, That bunches together the work name and the movement name regardless of what you've put in the song name field Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, if you decide to use the work name and the movement name tags for a track iTunes will dynamically create this aggregate display name using the text from the work the movement number and the movement name and that will be used as a song name. Now, iTunes doesn't forget the original song name. It's still available. It's just not visible. But when you decide to use a work and a movement name for a track, iTunes will use that information for this aggregate song name instead of the actual song name. Yeah. And you were telling me that some people might also expect the composer's name to be used in this aggregated name, right? But it isn't.
1: Right. The, the standard that Apple's used for years and that GraceNote uses is to have the composer name followed by a colon and then either a work name or a movement name, depending on how it's tagged. Ideally, it should be composer name, colon, work name, maybe comma or semicolon, and then movement name and number and all that. But the composer name is pretty much standardized now, at least for uh, Apple, for the iTunes store, Apple Music, and GraceNote. So it's surprising to not see it here. Personally, I don't like the composer name because I know what composer an album's music is made up of, unless it's a compilation of multiple composers, in which case I do leave the composer name.
0: Well, oh, that's an easy-to-remember rule of thumb.
1: How do you spell OCD?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, really. Um, but what you could do is you could put the composer uh, yourself, you could enter the composer name to the front of the work name tag, um, and that would fix that. But this is beta software, it's not finished.
1: That's correct. It's very possible that by the time iTunes 12.5 is released, we will see some guidance or they will clean this up, because the fact that the composer's name isn't there as surprising.
0: But would it make
1: you dislike a track? It's funny you mentioned that, Doug, because you you will soon be able to dislike tracks in your iTunes library. This is another new feature added to 12.5. If you right-click on a track, you know that you can love the track now, and they've been doing that for a while since Apple Music came out. And love is a binary rating. You love it or you have no opinion of it right? But now you have another option, love and dislike. Now, it's important to note that love is not the opposite of disliked. It's not like if you choose love, the menu changes to dislike to give you the option, like like show this something or hide this something, but the two are mutually exclusive. So if you've loved a track and you dislike it, it changes from love to dislike. Now, you you may have noticed there's a little heart icon in iTunes, and with an earlier beta of 12.5, that heart icon became red because, you know, what says love other than a red heart, right? The dislike icon displays a little broken heart, which is still red but with a line through it.
0: Oh, broken heart, sad.
1: A nice cute addition, I think. Oh, it's cute. I, I would almost prefer it to be in a different color, though, because then it would stand out more. It would differentiate more. So one of the things is this dislike is only available in the contextual menu... It's not available. There are no columns you can display. You can't access from a smart playlist yet. So Doug, you've straightened that out for now.
0: Yeah, I've written a a quick little script that will assemble any of the tracks that you've disliked into a a unique playlist, just until Apple gets around to, we hope, making it easier to identify the tracks you've disliked. Because right now in the current beta, you can dislike something, but there's just no way to see which tracks you've disliked. So until that that sort of stuff starts appearing in the interface uh this script will at least help you assemble all those dislike tracks into a list so that you, you know what you've disliked as i mentioned earlier we're happy to welcome back chris Connacher, the founder and web runner of ComputerAudiofile.com. chris it's great to have you with us again
2: it's great to be back guys love what you're doing and uh, thanks for having me
1: we- web runner is is like a showrunner for a website
0: yeah it's a, yeah it's a term i made up yeah
1: <laughs> very good
0: Thanks. I also attempted to coin the word weblish, but that never caught on.
1: I'm not even going to ask what that's supposed to mean.
0: Well, you know, like publish instead, but you weblish.
1: Oh, I was thinking it had something to do with English, like the kind of language people use on the web. No, that's probably why it never caught on. So, <laughs> so, so Chris, you, you traveled to go to a concert the other day, didn't you?
2: Oh, my gosh, did I ever. My favorite band of all time, Pearl Jam, was playing at Fenway Park, and my wife and I went uh we're from minneapolis so we went out to boston and oh was that just lovely
0: oh you couldn't you really couldn't have picked a better weekend to come to boston
2: oh and the weather was perfect and yeah and what a lovely town too gosh boston is great
1: how many times have you seen pearl jam live
2: oh gosh i roughly 20 i you know it's like it, i certainly not as many as some of the people who follow the dead but once you get up a few you know over 10 i'm like i don't count anymore but probably around 20 times. And I've seen them at, at Wrigley field Fenway and the 20th anniversary concert in Wisconsin. And so it's every, and what's great about these guys too, is every show is a different set list and it's not, you know, the same run of the mill. So it's really great. And after a Pearl jam concert, you feel like you got your money's worth. It's, those guys really go up there hard. It's pretty cool.
1: Okay, Chris, we wanted you on the show this week to talk about different streaming music services. How does one choose? Because there are so many of them now. And I have to confess to you, I have actually never heard a song by Pearl Jam. So I'd like you during this show to explain wait, to me. Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. I just. I just want you to say one more time so that everybody <laughs> understands what you just said. Just, would you say again
1: what you just said? I have never heard a song by Pearl Jam. It's very possible that I've heard one without knowing who it was by. <laughs> I, I've never intentionally listened to Pearl Jam or accidentally come across a Pearl Jam song. So it, you you like streaming music. You're familiar with a lot of the different streaming music services. Um, l- let's start out. Pearl Jam is available on all the streaming services?
2: Yes. As far as I know, they're on every streaming service. Uh, There's one album that's not, and that's called Backspacer, and I don't know why that album is not, but maybe they're running an experiment to see if people still buy that one, if it's not available on streaming, or it's a label issue, whatever. But yeah, they're on streaming.
1: Because there are artists who still don't want their music to be streamed, two I can think of off the top of my head is King Crimson, Robert Fripp is totally against streaming, and the country singer Garth Brooks, neither of them have accepted streaming yet. But then there are artists who whose music is available on one streaming music service and not another, and everyone thinks of Taylor Swift. Or there are exclusive albums and all that. So how can someone choose these days? It, none of these companies expect that anyone's going to subscribe to more than one streaming service, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, that is kind of frustrating. And I, I've been following, you know, the, the exclusives and the arguments for it and this and that. And I don't know. I, I guess it's a private business, do what they want. It does kind of seem anti-consumer, but, you know. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to figuring out what streaming service to pick, it's like, you have a couple favorite artists, and if they split services, one's on Apple Music and one's on Tidal, what do you do? You obviously aren't going to go to both of them. But yeah, it's that. that is a frustrating
1: piece. So the big streaming services right now, we have Apple Music, we have Spotify, we have Tidal, we have Google Play, we have Amazon Prime, although Amazon Prime is limited to older releases for now. I believe this is going to be changing soon. I think we'll leave aside the, the, what would you call Pandora, Doug? Technically, it's not a streaming service because it's not on demand, right?
0: Right. Pandora is more like what's known as a pure play. It's more like a radio station. There's minimal user interaction with it.
1: There's SiriusXM, which provides radio-like music, but while you can choose channels. It's not really streaming, and you need special equipment. Is there anything else?
2: Ah, uh, you know that's it depends on the day. Probably, if there's anything else, it seems like uh, some of those may go tomorrow. Some new ones may pop up, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's you know it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Amazon and even Deezer, um, who you uh, get a free Deezer subscription with a certain cell phone package, maybe from Orange or whatever, and. Those companies um, include, you know, we have a big subscriber base. We're getting more all the time. But in the case of Amazon, people just get it with their prime music service. So I guess I'm an Amazon music subscriber and I would never use that service. So, you know, it's in fact, a representative from a manufacturer was just saying, you know, you guys don't know it, but Amazon's the biggest music streamer or going to be. And I'm just like, well, okay, (laughs) you know, prime (laughs) customers. I do it for shipping, not music. You know, I'm not
0: surprised, though, about bundling. You know, it works, um, especially for Amazon Music. I have a friend who swears by Amazon Music. He just didn't want to do a lot of the research, and, you know, he hasn't got time to figure out streaming and stuff like that. But there's Amazon Music, part of his Amazon Prime subscription, and, and he loves it. He's got music on his Android phone and on his computers around the house, and he, he swears by it.
1: Yeah, but is this, yeah. person, is this person picking music that he doesn't own, or is he picking... CDs that he's bought that Amazon's put in his library. Right. Because he, Amazon does that. Yeah. He's
0: doing both the matching and the uploading.
1: Right. So so Amazon does that. Um, I, I've bought a lot of CDs from Amazon over the years, and not that many are showing up in my library. Interestingly... Whether I bought them in the U.S. store, the U.K. store, or the French store, where I've had accounts in all three, some of them all show up. It's not limited to a specific country where I purchased them. But it's very uneven. There might be, you know, two albums by one artist, but not the next one that I would have bought at the same time. The advantage to Amazon is that if you are a Prime subscriber, you can try it for free. Um, But the disadvantage is that they don't have new releases yet. I believe that's going to change.
2: That's that's what I hear, too. They're going to make a major play in the streaming music market. I mean, what aren't they going for? They're (laughs) trying to take over the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Let me just mention one other streaming service that I believe hasn't debuted in the U.S. yet. And Chris, I'm sure you've heard of Kobuz, Q-O-B-U-Z. They're a French company. They do a lot of classical music. Uh, They do lossless streaming. They have very good metadata. They have, um, you can download PDFs of of album booklets and, and stuff like that. I subscribed to them for a while when I lived in France. Um, it's pretty good, but there are an awful lot of labels that don't stream so that you, you browse through the catalog and you want to listen to an album and you go to stream it and it's like, oh, sorry, this one isn't available.
2: Yeah. You know, I, a lot of my readers love Cobus and just talk, you know, forever about it, but, and, you know, and, and talk about its benefits versus the others. And this could be one of those, uh, beta versus VHS. The best one might not win out. You know, Koba seems to be really, really good. But, you know, there are cash problems there or there have been in the past. And not being in the U.S., you know, isn't the end of the world. But certainly I I don't use it because of that. And I, I don't like to talk about it too much on my site if a major portion of my readers can't really use it. So, you know, but, yeah, I've heard great things about that.
1: I find it interesting that Tidal you used to talk about its predecessor, Wimp, on your site quite a bit because it does lossless streaming and, and all that. And it morphed from something that was somewhat confidential, kind of like Cobuzz, into something that's, that's got a huge pop-oriented marketing strategy.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because, yeah, you open up Tidal and uh, you're presented with the artists, you know, new art, new artists, new albums, and this and that and it's certainly a curated correct collection that really, really is towards hip hop, rap, and artists like that. And But my use of title is more, I just go find what I want or search for what I want. I never really depend on a streaming service to present me with what I could listen to or should listen to. So, But I know that is a big, uh, big problem with some of my readers. Like I open up title, and it's nothing but music I don't want to listen to.
0: That's like your gripe with Apple Music, Kirk. The For You section doesn't exactly seem for you.
1: Well, the For You stuff takes into account some music that I own and some music that I've listened to. But it doesn't take into account the variety of my music library. So it really, it's really fixated on the fact that I downloaded um, Elton John's Madman Across the Water, which is just a wonderful album. But it wants me to listen to everything by Elton John and everything from 1972 in a particular style of music. Um, I listened to a couple of Eagles albums one day, and for weeks and weeks it would tell me, you know, listen to these Eagles albums, listen to these other um, soft rock California, what was it, Geffen albums, and and that sort of stuff. And the problem is that when I listen to Brian Eno, or when I listen to The Grateful Dead, or when I listen to some obscure classical music like John Cage or Morton Feldman, it doesn't take those into account in the same way.
0: Does um, does Title take that kind of stuff into consideration? Does it consider your your song history?
2: I have never found any piece of Title that does that. Such feature would be nice if you know if it did that or if it actually worked. Um, and speaking of playlists, I've been the Title playlists are quite disappointing compared to a service like Spotify. Um, so you know that's probably even more why when I use Title, it's a search to find what I want type of thing. And the the audio file in me must, you know, uh bring up the fact that Tidal is lossless streaming and in the US it's Tidal or Deezer Elite and to do Deezer Elite you have to have Sonos. So pretty much Tidal is the only lossless streaming service in town and that's Maybe the only reason I subscribe to it,
1: but I'm guessing you only use the lossless version at home And if you're on the road um, You're out walking or whatever you're not going to be streaming lossless, right?
2: Yeah for the most part. Yes Uh, Lossless at home and then I download lossless to my iPhone for the offline feature, which is great on airplanes And you know when I'm out in the car I try to do lossless and if it's just not working I choose it move it to adaptive so yeah
1: so one of the big differentiators in streaming services and we've mentioned the the recommendations with apple's for you and playlists and all that the the big differentiator is whether you want to pull music so chris you say you look for music and you listen to it or whether you want the service to push music to you su- suggesting music for you to listen to apple's for you spotify playlists etc i think we have two different approaches to music listening that the people who pole music who search for what they want to listen to are very different from the people who listen to playlists.
2: Yes, yes, I completely agree. And, you know, I haven't thought of it that way before, but that's a good way, you know, the, the pull or push model, in a sense. And, uh, you know, Tidal has a very limited, it's like 20 albums or something like that are recommended or new. And um, so it's it seems very much a, a pull model versus the others are, are push. And I've heard great things about the Spotify playlists, and you know what Spotify pushes towards you, um, I just don't use it very often. I'm a subscriber, but
1: don't use it very often. So how many services do you subscribe to?
2: Uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Tidal, and Pandora.
1: And you do this more because this is your business, talking about audio and all that, rather than because as a music listener, you think you need all of these, right? Completely.
2: Yep, 100%. I would... If I, you know, just was me listening, I would probably just go with Tidal because it's lossless um, and dump the rest of them.
1: So very briefly, what are the pros and cons of Apple Music?
2: You know, Apple Music has made me so frustrated. uh, But I I think the pros is the integration with everything. It's like my my wife wanted to use a streaming service. And I was just like, yeah, just use Apple Music. It's on your phone. We have it, you know, go for it. Um, And, you know... I, I must admit, I use Apple Music for Taylor Swift's 1989 album. I, it, it's it's a great album. I love the music, and that's the only place I'm gonna get it. So that's where I use it. But you know, other than that, I've been very frustrated with Apple Music's uh, user interface. I, you know, it starts off with that for you thing, and I look at that, and I'm just like, oh gosh, this is, it, it bugs me. <laughs> you know, so I'm probably not <laughs> the best to talk about the the pros of Apple Music. It, it just it kind of, it, no, it no. Doesn't...
1: I think it's important because because you're talking about the same thing bugging you that bugs me. The for you thing. Um, I I would really appreciate. So here's what I would like in a streaming service: that it looks at my library, it knows what I've listened to, and it maybe recommends albums that I am very familiar with to listen to again, as well as stuff that I've never heard. And that's what for you is supposed to do. But again, it just doesn't it just doesn't understand the, the diversity of the kind of music I listen to. I, I would think if you listen to a single genre, it might be a lot better.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're a big Swifty, Taylor Swift fan, I'm sure it can just, you know, fill you with a whole bunch of music like that. And, you know, that, that also brings up the whole human curation versus algorithm curation and stuff like that. And I know Apple early on pushed, you know, we have a lot of human curation and we're going to make it better by the use of people. And, you know, my experience is nothing beats uh, Pandora's Genome Project. The way they look at every single piece of music and sub piece of music and figure out what you like is absolutely the best. And I wish other services would do that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I've been a Pandora subscriber for a long time and full disclosure, I've done some work for them. It's funny we said we weren't going to talk about pandora but uh the genome project really makes playlist creation with pandora just absolutely wonderful i'm constantly delighted by a lot of the variety that i can squeeze out of their playlists um one thing i wanted to say was i think apple has been trying to imitate pandora to some degree but not doing that great i mean i think genius playlist was an attempt to do that and some of the radio station uh playlists but they they just haven't been able to
2: pull it off yeah i i agree and you know i it's like Apple certainly has the money and the brain power to replicate what Pandora is doing with the genome project, but you know it must not be worth it to them. But to be able, it seems like you know Apple will look at artists and tracks, and if you like this artist, well, this artist is related. Versus Pandora going, oh, you like this guy plays a Fender Stratocaster,
1: you know, boy, who else plays that? It's it's like they know everything. It's it's really cool. Okay, so what about Spotify? Pros and cons. Um, I will just toss out my con. I I hate black interfaces. They're for like 20-year-olds with really good eyesight. Um, And I think it's just insulting that they don't offer uh, an easier-to-use interface. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I won't disagree with you there. And speaking of cons, another con of mine in Spotify is I'll open up an artist or an album, and the big button right in front of me is shuffle. I just want a play button. And I realize I can play. If I play the first track, it'll play through. But I've also had other people go, well, I don't use Spotify because I have to shuffle. So I'm not the only guy with that issue. Um so but Spotify in terms of pros I love the library it's huge. Um there's a lot of stuff, you know, that's there that may not be elsewhere except when it comes to those weird exclusives um like Taylor Swift or Jay-Z on Tidal. Um and Spotify has integration, you know, with a ton of things and you know I guess one con to Spotify though is they're kind of forcing everyone to use the Spotify app for integrations. So like Chromecast audio, it's okay. Yeah. Relaunch the Spotify app. Sonos has seemed to, they've been able to get away with integrating Spotify uh, with their own interface, but all the other ones, Spotify kind of wants you to use their own. And I mean, it's their thing, I guess, you know, so be it. But um, Spotify, most Spotify to me seems more like a social network. And, for for me in music, eh, and I'm not so much a social network guy. Um, if you are, it's probably a great thing. Um, but to me, that's kind of what Spotify is: social network with music.
1: One thing I like about Spotify though is that you can follow playlists that people create. In particular, there's a Chinese guy who's a real classical music fan, and he used to make these really long playlists with all the works by a given composer. I believe he's been hired by Spotify now to make playlists for them. But I've I subscribed to a whole lot of his playlists on Spotify, and this guy did really good detective work organizing, say, all of Bach's cantatas and all of you know Miles Davis's uh, mono albums and and all sorts of collections like that. And the fact that you can follow them, I think, is quite interesting.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because that is an issue that I have with with title is I'll create a couple of playlists and put them on my site saying, hey, guys, these are my hundred songs that I've been listening to lately that I absolutely love. And then for followers of title to be able to add that to title, it's a pain. It's click on this link, log into the web version of it, and then you'll be able to find it in your iOS app version. I mean, it's it's very, it's very a pain. I would love to be able to do that piece, create playlists for people that read my site and have them easily
1: add it and follow. Another thing that Apple Music doesn't do, and I believe you can do this on Spotify, is you can have a collaborative playlist So you could make a playlist, share it with me and Doug, and we could each add music to it. But you can't do this with Apple Music. It's strictly one way. So for instance, my son has a playlist of music that he discovers that he thinks I'll like, but I can't do the same. I've got to make a separate playlist for music that I discover that I think he'll like. Whereas it would make sense for everyone to be able to dump their favorite music into a playlist.
2: Yeah, I I agree. That's that's really cool. And it, it kind of seems on the technology side, Spotify seems far ahead from all the other companies in terms of, you know, yes, the social network aspect, but the other stuff, Spotify just seems ahead in terms of on-demand services.
1: Well, Spotify has been doing it longer and and we we have to remember that Apple's Apple has always been treading on thin ice because being the largest music retailer, they can't cannibalize music download sales. So when they launched Apple Music, and I believe this is the reason why you can't go from the iTunes store to Apple Music. You see an album in the iTunes store, you can't just click a button to go to Apple Music to stream it because the record labels wouldn't like Apple saying, well, you can buy it here or you can stream it here. So Apple has this complicated issue that none of the others have. Apple's the only one... Who sells music of, and, and we're talking about the, what, what I would call the big three: Apple, Spotify, and Tidal. Amazon and Google are different, um, but Apple has that problem that Spotify doesn't.
2: Yes, and I think uh, that really, I think that really hurts Apple. Um, it it's confusing, maybe not to us, but to a lot of other people. Uh, like, do I buy it? Can I stream it? What's the difference? Um, and then that sounds like a very dumb question but you know to most people who don't follow this stuff it is it is weird and I think it's a very pertinent
1: question yeah
2: apple's going to continue to have that problem until they get rid of the purchasing model
1: i don't think they're going to get rid of the purchasing model but i think they're going to have to come to some sort of understanding that purchasing and renting are two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. so very very quickly title you said the pros are lossless streaming and the cons are the fact that they just present you with 20 albums in terms of playlists, you said it's not very interesting. So for you, title is just more like going to a library and doing a search. 100%
2: yes. So uh, one thing that I would absolutely love in title or any streaming service is if I can click on new music and it would just list the new music that has come out. I can search, go by date and just browse what came out this week, no matter what genre it is or who created it or anything like that. You know, because I look at Title's new music and it's like 20 albums that I will never listen to. So, yeah, I use Title as kind of a library. And so the lossless feature is the main thing. But then second, it integrates with the Rune application very well. So in Rune, I can browse my local library and browse Title, And when I find a Title a- album that I like, I click Add to Library. And it makes the cover art appear within my album collection as if it's stored local. And to me, that's just, that's priceless.
1: So it's kind of doing what Apple Music does with an iTunes library. Yes,
2: exactly. Yep. Okay, I totally okay. love it. So, but yeah, if other services get lossless, I, you know, I could dump title tomorrow. It's, it's a lossless thing for me. And I, I, I really like the people that work there. They're very nice. And I, so I hate to say I would dump them tomorrow.
1: <laughs> well, you just did. And if if you want us to edit it out, we can. Oh,
2: absolutely not. It's, it's the okay. truth.
1: So let's just close with a question, a speculative question. I know it's a question that comes up every once in a while. Do you think, I I have my own opinion, um, do you think that Apple will introduce either lossless streaming or lossless download sale in the, let's say, the short-term future, the next couple of years?
2: Absolutely not. Uh, A couple of years ago, I wrote a post saying Apple will not release lossless or high-res in the next five years, and I stand by that. The business model and Apple customers, there's just no, you couldn't make a case for it. Um, I don't think there's demand for it. Uh, it just, it makes zero sense for Apple to do that.
1: You've said pretty much what I think. You, you do hear some people who make a lot of noise about this as if it's really important, but this is the, the one... Percent of the one percent who are talking about it, average users they don't care, and they don't want the data bills of streaming lossless when they're on their iPhones anyway
2: yeah, exactly it it only introduces problems for a company like Apple to offer lossless streaming. you know, I could see lossless downloads not being that much of a problem, but with the download market the way it is and shrinking it just makes zero sense to me for them to do that
1: okay chris we started by me admitting that i had never heard pearl jam which album should i go listen to once we finish this
2: oh which album that's like saying
1: which is your favorite child (laughs) uh
2: (laughs) i will say what's
1: the best introduction not necessarily the best album but the best introduction okay then i think you got to go to their first album
2: 10 that's what got me into them the the song alive was the song that got me hooked i think that was the first radio single and I heard that and I went to buy the cassette single at the Musicland store and they were sold out. Uh, so that's 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 what to listen to. That's a good choice. There are like four or five hits on that album.
1: Okay, Chris, thanks for joining us once again. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. And we come to the part of the show where Kirk and I give a shout out to our next tracks. That's the music that we'll be listening to next at home. Kirk, what are you going to be listening to?
1: My next track is an entire album that came up recently on Shuffle in my iTunes library. It is Orchestral Maneuver in the Dark's second album called Organization. The first album was probably the first real synth pop album that was more poppy rather than craftwork style electronica. Um, but the second album was The Breakthrough. It had their hit single Enola Gay, which every year, the first week in August, I'm reminded of that song. And if you don't know why, you should look it up. And I also really like the last song on the album, Stanlow, which is this really slow, moody song. Stanlow was the name of an oil refinery uh, in the Northeast of England. And Andy McCluskey, one of the members of OMD, I believe his father worked there. And the background of the song is the actual noise of this refinery, not very loud. But the song takes its rhythm from this organic field recording that he made of this refinery. This is really avant-garde stuff, what they did there, when you think about it, you know, taking a field recording, mixing it, it's like, kind of like John Cage. And it's this really moody, slow song, and it ends the album, you know, the album starts with the first song is Ola Gay with just really pop song about dropping a nuclear bomb, and then it ends with this really slow, moody song about an oil refinery. One of the great albums of you know the early 1980s, I like to listen to it every now and then. You should spin it too. It's on all the streaming services. It's organization by orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Doug, what's your next track this week?
0: Uh, I'm also going back to 1980 for Daryl Hall's first solo album called Sacred Songs. Yes, Daryl Hall of Hall & Oats. This album was actually recorded in 1977 and produced by Robert Fripp. Oh yeah, it's got Frippertronics. Uh, but it was shelved by RCA, who thought it wasn't uh, Hall and Oatsish enough, and it isn't. I mean, uh, there are some really good Daryl Hall melodies on here, good tight studio band, great singing, uh, just with more Frippery. Now, this was supposed to be one of a piece with two other albums that uh, Robert Fripp had produced, his own Exposure solo album and Peter Gabriel's second solo album. But because the album didn't come out until three years later, the effect that Fripp was trying to achieve was lost. But still, this is a great record. It's Daryl Hall's first solo album, Sacred Songs. It's my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.